Hello and welcome to the Healthy Entrepreneur Club podcast. A healthy entrepreneur is someone who achieves business success whilst prioritising their physical and mental well-being. In other words, they understand the healthy hustle. They possess the ability to effectively manage their business operations, make strategic decisions and nurture their personal health and brand for sustainable growth and long-term success. Our guest today is definitely the most asked after guest we've ever had. She's an entrepreneur, designer, ex-England gymnast, and my co-founder, Antonia Bates. This is a bit weird, isn't it? <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> Thank you for having me on there. Well, it's great to have you on what is effectively half of your podcast as being uh, my co-founder in Studio New and the Healthy Entrepreneur, including the podcast. And you know, you've got some incredible experience, which is why a lot of people want to hear from you and why we've taken six months to try and get you onto here. So what is it like being an England gymnast? Well, I guess when you're standing on the podium, competing for your country for the, for the first time, and you've got a gold medal around your neck, and they're playing the national anthem for you, it's, I think the only word I can describe is that it's indescribable, which isn't necessarily <laughs> what you want to hear on a podcast. But a lot of um, effort and hours went into getting to that point. So I started training when I was four years old. And I think my main inspiration was my sister. So I always used to watch her at competitions. Mm. I used to do my own made-up routines while she was competing. And then my mum and dad put me into gymnastics classes. And I stayed at the same club throughout my whole career. A lot of people bounced around different clubs, but I stayed at the same club throughout my whole career. Um, And, yeah, I worked my way up, um, got to competing for my county, competing for... Southwest in the Southwest team. And then I was selected for the England squad. So obviously a lot of hours, as I said, went into that. And I was training 30 hours a week. And in school holidays, it was 40 hours a week. Um, I was coming out of school to train. So I was training, I remember every Tuesday, one o'clock till eight, 8.30 in the evening. And I would always have to do my homework whilst having dinner in the evening. So a lot of my friends, it was their bedtime, but I'd get home at half eight, nine o'clock. I would have my homework. My mum would put my dinner on the table for me. I would have to eat and do my homework. My dad would help me with maths and science and then all of that and then go to bed at stupid o'clock for my age. Mm. But um, yeah, so a lot of hours went into it and then got selected for England squad. Um, and then I was selected to actually compete for my country. And that was in... Belgium and I remember that was when I was 13 or 14 years old so that was my first proper international competition um and we went to Belgium a few days before the actual competition because we had to do some podium training get used to the equipment um and I remember that was it was so exciting and also so nerve-wracking because I had no idea what to expect I'd done big competitions before I'd done national competitions and all of that so it was really, really exciting. I was super excited. And we got to explore Belgium. We got to explore the city we were in. Um, and then on the day of the competition, I knew my dad and my sister were coming to watch me. And I remember being on the, on the uh, stadium floor when just before the competition was starting. And I remember looking into the crowd because I couldn't see my sister or dad beforehand because obviously we were like in the zone. And I remember just like glancing through the crowd and the audience (laughs) and I could hear my sister and I could see my dad straight away. My (laughs) sister was the loudest cheerer for me, my biggest cheerleader. 
Um, and my dad, he was there, he bought specifically for this competition an England hat, <laughs> a massive England hat with the England flag on. Um, and I could just see them in the crowd and they were so proud. And yeah, I just wanted to do them proud. And obviously it paid off um, competing and winning, which is awesome. So you won your first competition for England? Yes. <laughs> it's not bad, it's not bad. Is it? And you touched a load of topics there, like the, the amount of effort you had to go through, the stress, but also your biggest support and your biggest inspirations there. Mm -hmm. So what would you say is the sort of, what was the hardest thing you had to do? Was it the, the stress of the actual physical uh, exercise on your body or was it the, the mental stress? You know, was it that you, it was harder to make friends because you spent more time um, in the gym? Like what, what was the, the culmination of the hardest things for the, to get to that level in, in sport? I think for me, it was, it's actually, like you said, a combination of all of it. So um, in school, starting secondary school was when I first came out of school consistently to train. So 30, 35 hours a week training. Mm. And I remember I had to move classes just so that my timetable could fit in with coming out of school. So missing half a day a week, every, obviously every, mm. every week, it was, um, it took a toll on my um, education, but it was obviously worth it in the end. Um, so that, that was a bit of a struggle making friends like that. And I think there was a lot of jealousy in my year group um, from certain people. Um, but then there's also a lot of my friends who are super supportive throughout. So, and I also had to say no to social gatherings and parties, birthday parties, right? a lot of sacrifices. Um, same with my diet and mm. different things. Um, even when we were training six, seven hours during the day, um, but that was every day during school holidays. But once a week, like I said, it was six, seven hours training. We'd have to bring in lunch, but our coach would come in and check our lunchbox. Mm. That was how strict the whole diet was um and yet yeah, the toll on mental and physical health so mental health with uh my sister she actually went to uni to do sports psychology so she helped me quite a lot at home uh, controlling stress and controlling anxiety and nervousness and um breathing techniques and different things how to how to cope with such high pressure at such a young age um and then physical health, I was also really lucky to have a mum as a physio. So mm. <laughs> every day after after gym, if I had any niggles or whatever, she would treat me, she would take me up ready for my next session. She would bring home different machines, ultrasound, tens machine, and she'd, um, yeah, wave her magic wand and fix mm. me. But it's, actually, it's awesome because, you know, you've also got quite a big family, right? And you've touched mm. on it there. So what were, the, what were the tolls on your family or what are the things they had to go through to support you because you know you've got other siblings that are, you know really good at different sports as well mm. but obviously you were, you've got to I think the highest level mm -hmm. right so yeah. what was the what were the tolls on your family of having to go to these different sporting events and you having to train so late and be driven around and you know, your dad's taking you here your mum's treating you there your sister's yeah. helping you with this your yeah. brothers are there obviously doing other supportive things what was the what was the what was it like in that situation so what comes to my mind straight away is my mum was a super mum so she would be working she would take all four kids to school, two different schools, because primary and secondary school. She would then work throughout the day, and then she'd pick us up, pick the other set of siblings up, take me to the gym, and then go home, sort their homework out, sort their food out, and then literally come, she'd probably have an hour maybe to relax at home, and then come back and pick me up. Um, so she was an absolute super mum, and she, I, I can only, I, I don't even know how to thank her for all the support <laughs> that she's given me. But also my little brother, bless him, we actually joke about how 
he has always been dragged to all of our competitions and my competitions um he was always there in the car being dragged to take me to training and back and he wasn't ever really allowed to be home alone at a young age and so he again had to come back out in the evening when it was supposed to be his bedtime pick me up and take me back but um all of my siblings have been super supportive throughout the whole um the whole journey so yeah i'm super lucky one of the things that we talk about quite a lot in you know just together but also with different entrepreneurs is um the idea that motivation comes and goes and discipline and consistency and commitment is what you should be striving for and you know from a young age you have showed in shown incredible discipline and, and yeah. commitment where do you think that drive has come from because obviously when you started you were um, you know, you, it, was a, it was a fun thing to do. You were taken by your parents because your sister had gone. It was a fun thing you wanted to do. You also then showed some talent. Where do you think that drive then came from to be able to, be able to stay consistent and actually improve and improve and improve to get to that level? I think seeing the older gymnasts in my club um, and seeing them as inspiration. So I knew I wanted to get to that level and I knew I had to work hard to get, to get there. Um, and so, and I, I knew I had talent and I was told I had talent. And so I, I didn't want to waste that either. And my mum and dad were never pushy parents. They always said to me, um, I can quit whenever I want, but making sure that I quit on a good day. So come back, not necessarily coming back from a bad training session and saying I want to quit. They wouldn't be like, okay, right, we'll quit. Wait until you have a good day yeah. and then reassess that situation. And literally every single time I'd be like, no, that was just a bad day. I don't want to quit. Um, but yeah, it's. I think knowing that I could get to that level and seeing other people at that level already, I think that was the drive and that kept me motivated mm. and disciplined to, to strive for that level. So what about overcoming adversity and specifically, I mean, injuries mm. in gymnastics, right? It's really high likelihood of injury. Yeah. How do you overcome injury and keep going forward? Um, well, saying that, I've still got lots of niggles and injuries, as you know, today. Um, I had quite a bad injury once where I fell from the high bar, landed on my elbow, and I've got a, um, a damaged nerve. Mm. You know, your funny bone, that nerve, your ulnar nerve. Um, so I can't really, like, put pressure on it, and sometimes it's, it's a bit weird. But, um, yeah, so overcoming injury, I think it's just, I guess it's mind over matter, and it's um, just... <laughs> having the end goal in mind um, and not getting not getting drawn down to the um, what's happening right now so just making sure you have an open mind remember the end goal and overcome those little hurdles because I think that's that's what happens in life right there's so many hurdles that you just need to overcome to get to your your end goal um, yeah and again like I said the support from my family and my physio, my mum, was super helpful helping me overcome it's, all of that. It's so cool to hear because, you know, I spent a lot of time with your family over a number of years and it's not just your mentality. Your whole family has a mentality of, you know, we can overcome this and we're going to, you know, strive to, to get better together and grow and support one another. Mm. It's, a, it's really quite powerful. And, you know, um, that discipline, that drive, if you've got one person doing it, it's powerful. But if you've got a group of people doing it, yeah. it's, it's unstoppable. Um, you mentioned earlier where you were traveling to Belgium and I know you traveled to a lot of places to do gymnastics and also you were able to travel and do camping trips as a, as a, as a child with your family. Where did that love of travel come from? Obviously, maybe I've answered the question there, but where, did, where does it come from now? Because obviously we have been lucky enough to travel to nearly 25% of the countries in the world together. Yeah. So, you know, where's that, that love come from? And, do you, you know, can you relate it to your gymnastics journey maybe where you're traveling around, doing different things with different cultures, that kind of thing? 
Um, I think it must have come from being as um, a family of six in our people carrier. Um, my dad used to drive us around Europe up the mountains and we'd find different camping spots and we never really went on like fancy holidays. Um, we went to Denmark now and again to see family, but we used to drive around and camp a lot in Europe. So we did a lot of exploring and I think it must have just come from that and wanting to explore different corners of the world and just broadening my knowledge on different cultures. Um, and then, yeah, I think also traveling a lot with gymnastics. So it was a lot around the UK that we traveled. Um, and then we went to Malta, we went to Belgium, um, various different other countries around Europe. Um, that, yeah, I guess that also sparked the curiosity for mm. traveling. Um, just going back, I just remembered something. So when I remember my first national competition, just talking about traveling, my first national competition away. So it was in Birmingham and I was with my coach who I'm still in contact with now. Um, and me and another gymnast we went to Birmingham, stayed the night in a hotel before our competition. And I remember the night before we left, my mum laid out my suitcase. It's my first trip away on my own. She laid out my suitcase on my bed. How old were you? Nine. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Nine or 10. Uh, she laid out my suitcase on my bed and we were packing it together. We were going through the list that we were given. We were packing everything together, um, closing the suitcase. And then I was ready to go and I had to miss school and all of that. Um, and then I remember getting there, opening up my suitcase and then there was a a letter that my mum had hidden inside the suitcase and I opened it and it was from my whole family and they had signed saying good luck blah 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 signed everybody signed it um and then there was also a little teddy bear toy in there as well but every single trip away every every time we traveled my mum and dad used to always sneak something in my suitcase and so I've actually kept every single one of those letters wow. um everything so it's at home so stored safely in England um but yeah so that was just yeah going back to traveling mm. within the uk and my first time actually traveling on my own you also got um, an amazing frame of all your medals that your dad's put up for yeah, you right yeah. you could put those letters with those medals that'd be quite yeah, cool absolutely. yeah I, I've, I've been meaning to make a scrapbook actually and i've mm. been trying to do that for the last 10 years but i'm not really <laughs> around to do it <laughs> you you mentioned earlier that you um that you used to travel to Denmark for, for family. Your mum's mm -hmm. Danish, right? You're half yeah, Danish. Yeah. Um, and I want to lead that on to when you, you did, you know, competed for England, you were able to go and get A-levels and GCSEs, then did a foundation degree, mm -hmm. right, in, what was it in? Art and design. Art and design. Yeah, and then you went, that. there you go, a long time ago. <laughs> and then you went to university, right? And mm -hmm. what I think is interesting here is that I'd love to hear where your love of design came from. And specifically, the science behind design and then linking that obviously to Danish minimalism, which is sort of what your specialty is, your bread and butter. Yeah, so my love for design definitely stemmed from my Danish heritage. So I remember always going to my cousin's house, my auntie's and uncle's house in Denmark, and I just loved how Scandinavian everything was, all the Scandinavian furniture, and it was all fresh and lots of natural light. And it was just, yeah, that, I think it definitely stemmed from there. And then when I was younger, I used to share a room with my little brother. And we always used to have to come up with different ways that we could separate the boys' part of the room and the girls' part, <laughs> of, part of the room, um, especially when I started going to secondary school. So in year seven, we definitely, we wanted that divide in the room because um, just, I don't know, have more privacy and be able to do my homework without a little brother getting in the way. <laughs> Sorry, Patrick. <laughs> um, and 
yeah, so I think just being imaginative. My mum always loved doing that with me, changing things around in our bedrooms and painting and making artwork and different things. So it stemmed from that and my Scandinavian heritage. And then what I love is the whole Scandinavian philosophy. So less is more and the Lagom lifestyle, um, the, you know, the Lagom lifestyle where we appreciate what you have um, and not necessarily, it's more quality over quantity. So mm. when we moved here, we sold a lot of our stuff back in the UK and that kind of made you realize that you don't need to hold on to all these material things. Um, and so you actually appreciate the things that you actually take over and the things that you're displaying. So getting rid of all the dust collectors because Scandinavian minimalism um, is all about clarity and function and also aesthetics. So, mm. yeah. I've heard you say dust collectors more times than I've heard anyone say no, anything Now you say it ever. to your mum as well. To everyone. So Don't say that because she might listen. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mum. So I want to take that forward. So we've gone through, you know, competing for England, yeah. travel, your heritage, and we've spoken there about design, your love for design, actually your talent and your passion for design. Then I'd love to hear how that started to turn into a business for you. Because obviously we, we bought our first house at 22. Mm-hmm. But before then, you were already doing designs for other people, yeah. you know, and I'd love to hear how that then transpired from, you know, uni, starting to do a bit of design to then how, how sort of we developed through our property development. Yeah, okay, so went to uni, did textile and interior design, um, and then straight after uni, I managed to land a, an amazing job mm. at an award-winning design company doing interior designs for residential and commercial clients, so that taught me a lot of stuff about interior design as well. Um, working on offices as well as homes as well as show homes so I did a whole range of a range of um, spaces and also learning all the different softwares and how to project manage and just from start to finish Um, so working with this company in the UK after I finished university um, I managed to work with clients residential and commercial clients um, show homes and also did a lot of work experience so I worked in IKEA doing visual merchandising, graphic design and interior design. And I learned so many valuable lessons within that, which I like to translate into the work that we do today. I also did um, a lot of work experience with Designers Guild Mm. in Chelsea, in London. Um, And then I did a couple of other work experiences throughout this time as well in Bristol and Bath. Um, But yeah, so four and a half, five years working with this award-winning design company then led to me wanting to create my own company i wanted to be able to not necessarily my boss was always telling me what styles to do for the show homes for example and i thought i want to be able to put my stamp on things and my design for people obviously listening to what clients want themselves their own styles but also putting my stamp on things and so during when i was furloughed during lockdown i decided i wanted to do something now so then i called it on I had an online platform called Now Interiors. So I was doing lots of e-design, so virtual designs for clients all around the world. We had America, we had all around Europe, had, I think I had one in Australia. Um, so doing lots of virtual designs. I had a psychotherapy room, I had an office, I had lots of homes, I had bespoke units I had to create. So I was doing a range of online designs for these people throughout lockdown. And then we, my company that I was in, during lockdown, they went through a round of redundancies. And I was lucky to not be made redundant. I think we had three different rounds of redundancies and I was safe all three rounds. 
but it kind of made me realize how vulnerable being employed in that situation I, w I was I was really vulnerable and I wanted to take control of my own job and my own work um, so we went to do you remember when we went to the south coast and we were I had a few virtual designs already under my belt and we went for a walk on the south coast with my little brother and his girlfriend and we were telling them about it and we didn't necessarily want to call it something interiors because we wanted to we had I had so many different skills under my belt from visual merchandising to graphic design psychology. to interior design and the psychology behind it. Um, Plus, you already showed that you could add value because the first house that we had, you literally done your own methodology yeah, on it. Yeah, exactly. And you managed to create value there, right? Yeah, exactly. So we were talking to them about it, and they were like, "Well, the Danish word for now is new, so that's where Studio New came from." Um, and so Studio New focuses on enhancing your brand image within your surroundings. It focuses on we can add value to your properties through property development, which we have proven ourselves with our multiple house flippings that we've done in the UK. Um, we can do office design to improve productivity, which we have done ourselves and for other people as well. So it's everything we have learned, everything we have done ourselves and done for other people during before, before I guess Studio New was created, we were like, let's put it all in one place, let's put it into a studio and let's share it with everybody else who would be interested in it. I want to touch back on the house flipping side of it because yeah. this is something that I think is really cool and I think we'll go back to one day because it's such, yeah, like a, such like a hobby that we just enjoyed, right? So I feel like I'm going to tell the story, but we, we got the first house, right? And we decided that you know, we're going to have a, a lodger come in here because yeah. you know we're 22, it's going to help us pay the bills. And then we sat in the house and we realized that we should probably make some money out of this. Mm. Like the most expensive thing we've bought. Why would we just sit here and just, that's it, just pay the bills off? Why don't we renovate it and make some money out of it? But it was you who really said, well, this is, I think, the philosophy that we should go to, which is sort of, you know, the science behind what makes a space good or happy or, mm. you know, um, almost valuable. Mm. So how do you know what you're going to be able to put into a space that creates that, that atmosphere or that value for something? It depends on the property itself. So mm. we bought a, our first property was in Bath and you wouldn't, with that type of house, it was very contemporary. You wouldn't necessarily put in like a rustic cottagey vibe in there. But I mean, you could, obviously, you can do anything you want. There's no right or wrong, but personally, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> um, and we knew in our heads, just before we started fully renovating, we knew that we wanted to add value to this property. So the design design decisions that we made together were with that in mind so we created what did we start with we started with the kitchen didn't we we ripped it all out on the first day yeah. and we put in a beautiful kitchen a contemporary kitchen that when someone who would then buy the house they could actually envision themselves there and it was a blank canvas for them it was all brand new and it was all perfectly designed and everything was was in place um, everything was all uniformed as well so it's all Scandinavian influences obviously um, but other people who came in who bought the house could actually envision themselves and put their stamp on it but what I really like about the whole house flipping side of it was that we could our philosophy was buy the worst house on the best road mm. wasn't it and so what I like is that how we could put life back into that property because I think it's such a waste mm. on such a in such a beautiful area, Bath, beautiful area, and our other properties and beautiful villages to see such a rundown property, and it's just sad, isn't it? So mm. the fact that we could put 
life back into that property and then allow other people to create memories in it was um, a good driving force behind that. And that almost drives what the business does now, right? Like, yeah, exactly. You're literally trying to help people. Yeah. Um, I want to touch on uh, the catalyst for change. Yeah. So, you know, you had this, or we had this, if it was strange saying we, because mm. usually I don't say that to a podcast guest, <laughs> but we had this life in, uh, in the UK. And I want to touch on your side of the events and the catalyst that made us change, sell everything and launch the business in Dubai. Yeah. So, gosh, where do we start? So we had our final house in the UK before we came here was in a beautiful village just outside of Bath. And I think that was like my favorite place because we had so many beautiful pubs nearby. We had so many amenities nearby. We were close to our CrossFit gym with our friends. Um, all of our school friends were close to us and our family were really close as well. Um, one day uh, during, I can't remember, during the week, it must have been a lunch break. I know you needed to go and sign some papers for my dad for, for a charity thing. Um, and I was like, oh, you know what, I'm going to come with you. My dad didn't really know. They lived eight minutes down the road, eight minute drive down the road. And I said, yeah, I'll come with you. We can just have a cup of tea with my parents and then I can get back to work back at home. And I had had Olsen, our dog, by the collar. And I said, oh, yeah, it'd be nice for him to meet, not meet, but play with Jesse, my mum and dad's dog. And then I thought, actually, no, for some reason, we just thought, no, let's not take him. Let's leave him here. We're only going to be 20 minutes, half an hour. It's just too much effort. Um, so we got in the car. I got in the driving seat. We drove out of our, drove out of our village, just chatting away, and started well pulled out onto the main road started building up speed 30 40 miles an hour and we do this route or did this route how many times a week yeah, a like quite a few times mm. a week um and so yeah we, we knew it off by heart um and there was a car that came around the corner speeding way too quickly 60 70 miles an hour and on our side of the road and hit us directly head on and then this was the catalyst for change, for moving to Dubai. So I remember it so, so clearly. So he hit us head on and we flipped over him, flipped multiple times, landed upside down in a hedge slash ditch. <laughs> and we were stuck upside down and then there was just lots of smoke and lots of blood everywhere. Um, I won't go into too much detail <laughs> wow. because it's oh, quite full on. <laughs> but I remember you managed to drag drag me and you out um and then I remember my you I don't know if you said this in your um your podcast with your journey I can't remember but you when we were in the field you called three people do you remember, yeah, do you remember the order <laughs> who was first I rang I rang the ambulance first yeah because I could hear people screaming and I knew it was just me and you that were injured so I, I was like I'll ring the ambulance because obviously we were hurt, there was blood and stuff, but no serious injuries, but we didn't know at the time, we were super full of adrenaline. Mm -hmm. Then I rang, I My think dad, I rang your it? dad, yeah. yeah, and I was like, I'm gonna be late, we've had a crash, Antonio's fine, and obviously like you said, he didn't he know. He had no idea I was there. So he was pretty frantic, and I remember him saying that he literally ran out the house, your mum was coming home from shopping, mm. he ran straight past, she just shouted to her, there's been a crash, got in the car, and he was with us, he, 10 minutes. Mm. I remember him running straight across the just, field. I was going to say that that was that's a picture I'll never ever ever yeah. forget ever. Yeah. Yeah. Blessing. And then the third person. <laughs> I, rang my, <laughs> I rang my boss um, who is now really really senior at a massive massive FTSE 100 company 
And I just said, I'm going to be late back from lunch. <laughs> I was like, I'm really sorry. I, said, I, I was on a call before I'd gone for lunch. I was yeah. going to pick up the call after because we, we were hungry, funnily enough. We were like, we're going to break this call up into two. Yeah. I told him I'd be late for lunch. And he was like, <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> did you explain why? Or did you I didn't. Say... I hung up. And then he rang back and your dad was there. And we'll oh, my the dad ambulance. spoke to him. And it was your the fire dad engine. spoke to my boss, which was really we, odd. We were in the fire yeah, engine exactly. with a hot chocolate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really Super weird. Super weird day. But um, yeah, so that was the catalyst um, for for change because it kind of just flicked a switch in your heads, in our heads, where we were like, life is so short. We do this journey so often, mm-hmm. anything can happen. And we knew that we wanted to explore more of the world. We knew that we wanted to go full on into creating a business for ourselves because mm-hmm thinking of entrepreneurship a lot of my family are entrepreneurs like we mentioned my little brother my older brother um, my mum has her own physiotherapy clinic um, with the help from my dad as well so just seeing all these entrepreneurs in my family and um, aunties and uncles as well for both of us yeah my dad runs a charity we were like we want this and one day we want this we don't know when but one day and Mm. one day we want to live abroad and (laughs) one day we want to backpack again and we were just like no this is the time now because anything can happen Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, I know the story pretty well. Yeah. It's actually really nice just to hear it from you. Yeah. Um, so what I want to touch on really is how, what's Dubai been like so far for you? What, how do you feel? We've been here nearly, basically a year, by the time this comes out, yeah. basically a year. How, how, how do you find it compared to where we were in the UK and what we were doing? Well, firstly, it's gone so fast. I can't mm. believe it's been nearly a year. But um, yeah, how do I find it? I think the, I love it, first of all. The opportunities that we have here are just you where we were in the UK you just wouldn't be able to get and so I think the opportunities the people that we've met here the support the mentors um my brother has been my brother who lives here has been a huge support for us we stayed with him for the first month when we arrived and him and his family were really getting helping us get used to the culture and the whole environment here so they really helped us settle in and now they only live a few minutes away so it's so nice that we can just pop over when we want and see my niece and nephew as well um yeah so i think the the move has definitely been something that i will always always love i, I would love the fact that we have moved here it was never going to be i wouldn't change it maybe i i don't know whether we would have done it later on in our life but obviously the car accident was the catalyst for it and i think it actually has come at the right time for us to do this um obviously everybody's i was thinking about this the other day everybody's timelines are different and so we had the perfect house in the uk we had a dog we just got engaged we had the perfect jobs and then when we told people after we after we had actually bought the ticket when we told people that we've oh by the way the house has been sold oh by the way can we store everything in your in our parents' house. Yeah. Oh, by the way, we bought one-way ticket to Dubai, and we're going to set up our business from the UK to Dubai. Um, that's yeah, it's yeah, it's just been quite a fun journey. <laughs> I want to. I think what's worth touching on there actually is stress and pressure, mm. right? Because we both know, you know, we've got a big community of entrepreneurs, and we always talk about them that we understand, and it's good to have stress and pressure on you because it will push you forward. But you've yeah. got to be able to manage and cope with it. So I think it's only fair to ask you, how do you manage and cope with and dissipate stress and pressure in your own life? Um, first of all, through the environment and so through my surroundings. So not only the people who I surround myself with, but my actual physical surroundings. And I guess that's kind of an obvious one coming from an interior designer <laughs> and 
how I look at the physical aesthetics in a deeper way. So I, what we call ourselves, we say that we're, we're the inventors of the invisible aesthetic. So we look at how your environment dictates your mental health, how it affects your well-being, how it affects your stress and anxiety, um, and how it can improve your productivity. So, but focusing mainly on like the stress, stress and the pressure, we, when we moved to this new apartment, we created a space where we could fully unwind. We have an office which really promotes focus and productivity, but everywhere, where out, everywhere else, we have created a space that's just relaxing, that's calming, calming mater natural materials, biophilia, natural light, um, influences from Scandinavian design, really. Mm -hmm. So yeah, mainly phys physical surroundings, but um, also surrounding myself with people who can calm me down if I'm feeling stressed or talking to you. <laughs> you're very, you're very good um, person to help me calm down, but self-care activities, <laughs> I'm not mental. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but like sports, exercise, going for walks, healthy diet, um, CrossFit in the gym, um, self-care activities, yeah, all of that mm. helps with it. I really like that you've always spoken about different zones. So like mm. our bedroom is set up for op it's like perfect sleep, mm -hmm. almost perfect sleep, right? We've still mm -hmm. got our phones in there, but there's no TV, that kind of thing. No. But all the design is based around sleep. The yeah. office is based around productivity. Yeah. And then the sort of the living room is and the, and the dining room, I guess, are based on you know, conversation and whatever we like. Yeah. I think that is something that I've learned a lot from you because mm. you understand the science behind why that makes something. So you always touched on mental haze, mm. right? Especially when you're trying to sell a house or trying to make someone, a customer buy more from your coffee shop. Mental haze confuses and actually doesn't help people buy more. Look at McDonald's over the last 20 years. They used to completely um, almost blindside you with the amount of advertising when you walk into McDonald's. You go in there now, it's so simple. Mm they know that people have changed yeah. and actually they want simplicity because that's, that's avoiding mental haze and then you will achieve more. So yeah. exactly what you do with all the homes that you've designed and the offices that you've helped with. You know, look at the office in, in Dubai that we did recently. It's so almost chill that yeah. that's what they wanted. They wanted the people to be able to not relax, be productive, but in a way that's going to allow flow and it's going to allow people to converse and grow mm. together. I think it's I think yeah. it's so cool. And also spark inspiration as well. Well, that's really important, yeah. right? Um, so moving on from that, what about getting out of your comfort zone? So you touched there on the amount of pressure you went through as, uh, as a gymnast, obviously yeah. then having to balance school and friends and family and going through your university. And then what we didn't touch on is when we were traveling, all these, whatever, 30, 40 countries we've been to together, the stress of having to organize that, work to get the money for that. Yeah. You know, we had to do all these horrible jobs, pot washing and all sorts of things to afford it. Mm. The stress of going through all that, obviously the rewards as well, you can't forget the rewards. And then quite late on or in our mid twenties, we became entrepreneurs, right? So what have you learned about your comfort zone or being comfortable getting uncomfortable? Yeah, so I actually did a LinkedIn post about that today. Yeah, I saw that. That's perfect. <laughs> That's why you did that. Um, so I never thought, a few years ago I never really thought that I would be doing what I'm doing right now mm. let alone be on a podcast right now just um like doing talking to the camera and just different things I never thought I would I, I knew I'd have a business I knew I wanted to do that but I never thought I would necessarily be comfortable doing those sorts of things um and so what I really learned is that you really have to push yourself in out of your comfort zone and you just even if it's small steps like pushing yourself out of your comfort zone in order to your personal professional growth 
um, and your development. And so, yeah, I think just for me, it's been small steps, but getting there, mm. just one step towards your, your desired goal. Yeah. I mean, what's really cool is that I think, you know, we always look at big goals in business in our lives and we know where we want to be in five, 10 years, but sometimes you've got to look down at the next step. Yeah. You? And, just, and for full disclosure, this is the third time we've tried to film this podcast over the last <laughs> year, right? Yeah. Because, it, you know, it takes time to get out of your comfort zone, but, you yeah. know, you've done it and you can see from your personal branding and the, yeah, exactly. the stuff you're doing, like speaking at different events and stuff yeah. that, you know, you're out of your comfort zone. We know that, but it's mm. pushing you forward and you're going so much quicker than you would as an entrepreneur. One thing that I would say is that I've spoken about this a couple of times before is that I, you know, for the past three, three and a half years, I started writing one line a day sure, in a yeah. notebook or in a little journal. And I do this before bed and I literally just write down my thoughts for that day in one sentence. If I have no thoughts, I just write down what I've done that day. Um, and the fact that I can see back to a year ago today, two years ago today, three years ago today, and I can see how much I've grown and how much, like how much three years ago, I was completely in my comfort zone. I had the perfect, perfect job. I had perfect house. I had everything was just set in place and yeah. everything was, um, comfortable. And so just, you can see that each year and each month I've pushed myself even more, even more. And it's difficult and it's, it's so hard to actually push yourself and choose to be in an uncomfortable situation but you're not going to get anywhere if you don't actually do those sorts of things and I think you have been mass I know I'm a bit biased but you have been um, a huge support in pushing me in different ways but also my whole family have but I would I would also like to say that my older brother has been super helpful in mm. pushing me outside of my comfort zone we came on holiday here last year to Dubai. Two years ago. Two years ago. Two years ago. Mm. And um, we were talking to him. We told him about the business that we had in the UK and that we wanted to, this was before the car accident, that we wanted to one day live abroad, maybe here because there will be opportunities here, um, have the business here. And he was like, well, why don't you? And we're like, yeah, well, why don't we? Maybe one day we will. Um, and then, like we said, the car accident was the catalyst for doing it. And then he has helped us supported us through the whole transition and yeah being our mentor throughout the whole thing so yeah that's what I have to say about mm. that <laughs> so okay so what about the healthy entrepreneur uh -huh. so so the studio new has also then got a second uh, sort of leg or company called the health entrepreneur so how has that grown out of what you were just talking about yeah so we worked closely with business owners and entrepreneurs when we were doing oh, we still are but doing studio new so when we we're when we were designing and fitting out offices, when we first came here, we worked closely with- And in the UK. Yeah, and in the UK, um, entrepreneurs and business owners. But we soon realized that, first of all, I didn't necessarily like the idea of fitting out because I felt it was quite surface level. I wanted to go deeper. I wanted the psychology and the science behind the choices within the interior designs. Um, and we also realized that entrepreneurs and business owners, they have more unique challenges as well, not just ticking a box to make their employees happy, having a nicer mm. workplace to be more productive. But there's way more to it. There's stress, there's anxiety, there's pressure, there's so many different things. There's getting your customers to come back for more and, and spending more and spending more time within the coffee shop or the shop that they're in or, you know, um, first impressions for clients when they come and visit. So we were super interested in how we can manipulate the surroundings to enhance all of that. And so that, as well as the mental and physical well-being of the entrepreneur and business owner kind of 
created the Healthy Entrepreneur Club with your business background, your business consulting background. I don't know if you spoke about that in your journey as well, but we were like, we're working with... You can listen to podcasts. I have. (laughs) (laughs) But we were... Now you've thrown me off track. Sorry. We we work with the same people. So we were like, let's combine our skills and with our background of health and fitness because you were, you're still, still up into the gym, rugby, football. Um, so our background of health and fitness, my background of the surroundings and working closely with entrepreneurs and business owners for their mental health, their physical health, mm. you with business consulting, that kind of created the whole Healthy Entrepreneur Club. So yeah, it's a one-stop shop for entrepreneurs to build their business and their mental and physical health. Perfect, oh, really nice. And you've got a free challenge starting soon right yeah starts on monday monday the, um, so it's just started because this podcast will, will come out after so it's monday the 10th yes um and so it's a three week free challenge for any entrepreneur who mm. would like to be involved and it's three weeks and three topics so the first week's about physical health the second week is mindset and the third week is business growth and so you'll be joined joined by other entrepreneurs in a whatsapp group and we'll give weekly prompts and you can commit to as much or as little as you like but it's just a bit of fun fun challenge for any entrepreneur around the world to join in on for three weeks because 21 days takes 21 days to create a habit right perfect okay so for people that this is obviously they've already missed this one because it started a few days ago so when's the next time they can join september i believe we'll launch another one okay, yeah amazing cool so one of the a couple of the questions that we've asked all of our guests before you um to answer i'd love to hear from you as well is a one is a book recommendation mm-hmm. So I'm not going to say Atomic Habits because I think some people say that, but <laughs> that is a good book. Um, I have just started The Alchemist and oh, okay. I'm really, really looking forward to I've, ha- I've heard really good reviews about it. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to reading. That's a great book. Yeah. And what about if you had a full free day, what would you do? Well, I would probably spend it with you and Olsen. <laughs> it's the first time a guest has said they spend it with me. I've tried to invite myself onto a few full free days. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, full free day. I think what I would love is a nice breakfast at home when i was living with my mum and dad when we were younger my mum used to always make such a, a hugly breakfast and hugly is a danish term like hugger i don't know if you will know about the hugger trend but a hugly danish it's not necessarily danish but just a hugly breakfast on a sunday morning the whole family together candles on nice music mm. um and i always try and i like to do that for us as well so um yeah a nice breakfast and then maybe go to the gym go for a walk go swimming, just be with you and Olsen, really, yeah. Sounds nice. My day is very, very different. So where can people find you, Antonia? Um, so I'm on Instagram, Antonia underscore Bates. Um, we've got Studio New on Instagram as well, new.studios. Uh, Theft.healthyentrepreneur on Instagram as well, and it's the same on all the other platforms too. Amazing, perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us, finally. And I'm so happy that everyone's been able to hear your full story because it is quite incredible. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me.